we're just still in the really, really early innings of this thing. And like Mike said, 100 million people have it. And so we think that's awesome. But there'll be 6 billion people with it in 20 years. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got a massive interview with Dan Moorhead and Mike Novogratz, where we're going to be discussing the institutional case for Bitcoin. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. OK, first up, we're going to talk about Casa today, who are the very best in Bitcoin security. And now I've been talking about Casa for quite a few months now. I think it was about five months ago I signed up. I knew I had to get my security sorted. So I reached out to the team. I became a customer. And you know what? I could not be happier. My Bitcoin is now protected from hackers, my own personal mistakes, in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. And with Casa, if you are interested, well, they do have a product for every Bitcoin out there. So with Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet, and that is only going to cost you $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their three of five multi-sig. This is what I have, and that is the best protection for large Bitcoin holders, and that comes at a really great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get their full service offering, including a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best-in-class security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, let's talk about sportsbet.io. Have you checked them out yet? They are the very best in online gaming, and being such badasses, they accept Bitcoin. But more than that, they're Bitcoin fans and they do everything they can to promote Bitcoin around the world, including putting a Bitcoin logo on the front of a Premier League shirt. Yes, they sponsor Southampton this year. Pretty cool, huh? Now, with Sportsbet, you have access to every market you could possibly be interested in. Everything from the Premier League to US sports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. Just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions and you can find out more. Sportsbet is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. Okay, so on to the show today, and it's another banger of an episode, and I am joined by veteran investors Dan Moorhead and Mike Novogratz. So Dan was on the show in April, and we started talking about what the coronavirus meant for the economy and Bitcoin, and so much has changed since then. And I don't think anyone really knew what the impact of the pandemic would be back then, but Dan predicted that this would be Bitcoin's coming of age, and he's kind of being proven right. The economic impact has definitely highlighted the importance of Bitcoin for many, and corporations like MicroStrategy and Square have made big moves in the space. It looks like Dan's prediction was super right. So I was keen to get Dan back on the show, and I really wanted to also get Mike on for the first time, because it's been a long time coming. We did, we did cross paths on a conference once, uh, an online one where I interviewed him. But when I found out they were buddies, I knew I wanted to get them on together. So we did. We got stuck into macroeconomics, the institutions buying Bitcoin and what they're going to be expecting from Bitcoin over the next couple of years. It was really great to sit down with both of them. I hope you enjoy it. If you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, out on Defiance, episode two of Chaos is out. That is called Follow the Leader. And with that series, we're looking at kind of chaotic political situation in the US right now. Pretty fitting. That's available at defiance.news. Outside of that, have a great week and I'll see you all soon. Good to see you again, Dan. Yeah, great seeing you. I apologize for the delay. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. And good to see you again, Novo. This is our second time, but like f- your first time on the biggest Bitcoin podcast in the world, which is a bit of a delay. But there I, you go. I was uh, Dan. I was did the um, interview with Novo recently on the BlockFi event, and he talked about you two knowing each other. And I was like, right, I've got to get you two together. What's the background? Well, we went to Princeton together, uh-huh. and 
Dan had a, uh, well, Dan has a beautiful wife and I used to call her Big Devin because she was a lot taller than me and I would flirt with her and she would just give me the Heisman. And I was like, who are you dating? And then it was this guy. Uh, and so I met him at Princeton and then, and then at Goldman Sachs. And then we both got sent to Tokyo. Uh, and so we lived about a block away from each other. He was at Bankers Trust. And then he was a hedge fund guy. I was a salesman, so I covered him. Then he switched to Tiger and I covered him. And then he became a macro portfolio manager and I was as well. And we worked together when he started the first version of Pantera. So it was a long and windy road, you know, 30, 33 years. Wow. Wow. Since I was a, a small child. D Dan, give me a story about Novo. <laughs> <laughs> this professional broadcast, right? So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll you say what the hell you yeah. want. I don't care. No, it's been fun. You know, we've been bumping into each other so many different ways since we were 18 or whatever. And it's still the same. You know, we're still doing the same thing together, investing in crypto. We've co-invested in a ton of deals together. Uh, we've had some good times, some bad times, and it's just, it's been a blast. I do remember I was, I was driving down the street in Tokyo. I had a Mazda Miata, you know, because you had to have a Japanese car in Japan. And I saw some guy out of the corner of my eye in a Princeton sweatshirt sitting on this the stoop of his apartment and back up and it's Novo moving in that day. The, the best part of the story is when we, you know, we started looking at Bitcoin. Uh, I called Dan because we were thinking we wanted to get in at Fortress. We wanted to get in, but we didn't have the expertise or, or the time. And Dan was, you know, family officing at that time or between jobs. And I called, I said, Dan, look at Bitcoin. What are you thinking? Two weeks later, he called me back. He said, dude, it's going to change the whole world. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And he was just so ecstatic about it. And I had looked at it as a speculative thing. And the, the God honest answer is uh, we started buying it. It was in the 90s, 95 bucks or something. And, and I would have probably put in about one fourth as much as I did. But I said, how much are you going to put in? And, and Dan put in a big wedging capital. Uh, and at that point, Pete Brigger and I, who are the other two amigos of the threesome, uh, you know, Fortress had done well. We were we were certainly wealthier. And we were like, damn, if he's putting that much in, we have to at least put $1 more than him. <laughs> and so, you know, it's in lots of things in investing, if you get in at good levels early and you put a lot in, it makes the whole game a lot easier. And so I was talking to Pete about it. I was like, if we didn't buy that, yeah, we bought like a, 90,000 coins between the three of us uh, back in 2012. And, Holy shit. You know, yeah, we were, we were, we were piking around. Uh, but if you had done a lot less, if we'd all done a third of that, you'd have made a third as much money probably because it's harder to, you know, you, you feel like you miss things. You never really miss things, but you feel like you do. So yeah, I, 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 I pay a lot for my Bitcoin fortune. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun. My brother had introduced me to Bitcoin in 2011 and even gave me some from the Bitcoin faucet. Remember, Bitcoin was so unpopular that Gavin Andreessen was giving them away for free. And, um, you know, I read about it and I, I have some libertarian interests, so I thought it would be really cool if it happened, but I didn't actually do anything. And then Mike and Pete called and I came in for a coffee and I essentially never left. Like, I just... It was so the coffee went for like four hours and then they're like, hey, you can use this office right here. And I'm still actually physically still there and they're uh, seven years later or whatever. So, you know, it's been just such a fun run. Who's, who's the bigger drinker? Yeah, that, that'll be me. 
Dan's all right, actually. I, yeah, I, you know, I go in spurts. You probably can drink more than me, and I think I probably hit more days. <laughs> all right well listen look we've got loads to talk about um obviously you guys invested early very happy probably with your investments now quite an incredible year we're having actually no firstly can we just talk about politics because obviously i'm a brit looking in on your country right now and uh novo sat there with is that like joe biden shampoo behind you <laughs> it's like joe biden water bottle right there I, it looks like a shampoo uh, shampoo bottle so Kind of crazy situation going on. Like, what's going on, man? Tell me what's going on. Listen, I mean, Donald Trump is a very strange man, period. And, and you know, he pre-election was seeding doubt about the fairness of the election uh, for this exact reason that if he lost, he wanted to be able to argue that it was, a, you know, a, a cheated election. He talked about Obama winning in 2012 as a cheated election. Even when he won in 2016, he talked about all the cheating that went on, you know, hired a commission of Republicans. They looked at it and they said there was no systemic cheating. And it's the same thing going on today. The, the, the results are, are in. They will not be overturned. This is kabuki theater for Trump to make himself feel good, probably to get some leverage as he gets ready for his next, next chapter in life. I mean, I think it's dangerous for the country. Uh, the markets are telling you, the equity markets, the bond market, the currency markets are telling you, uh, don't watch the sideshow. Biden and Harris are proceeding with the transition team. And so I think this is literally like the last crying of a little baby uh, in the corner. But, you know, it's embarrassing as an American, right? You've got overseas people looking at, you know, we we self-righteously told people how to run their elections so many times. Oh, we'll send advisors. And, and now we've got, you know, this this chaos. But... I don't think you should really pay attention from a market's perspective. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I mean, I'm the only thing I'm invested in is Bitcoin anyway. And um, I guess for you guys, you mean you, you're both you know, long in the tooth investment. You t- you talked about Goldman Sachs. Um, Dan, is there anything more exciting than Bitcoin right now as an investment? And every time you invest in other things, you're always like, shit, I just should have put that in Bitcoin. No, no, this thing is like eclipsing everything out there. You know, for the next 20 years, I think blockchain will be more interesting than you know, any other investment. And for a while, Mike used to keep calling me and say, hey, man, what do you think about the Brazilian real or something like, dude, I can't think about anything else. It's 100% Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, back on the election, I do think it's important, the divided government with a, a Democrat in the White House and the Senate controlled by the Republicans really puts all the heat on the Fed. It's the last kind of functional thing out there. And so I think the Fed's going to keep expanding its balance sheet and that's going to be great for things you can't quantitatively ease, you know, like gold or Bitcoin or you know, even real assets or timber or whatever. Anything that you can't print more of is going to be hugely advantaged by the current state of the U.S. political situation. You know, and I also feel like I'm, I'm less worried about the regulatory side these days. I don't think we're in that phase anymore of will it be banned? Will it be yeah, will they regulate it out? Yes, there might be high regulations, but I think we're beyond that now. I, I also think like things like what's happened with MicroStrategy and Square investing in, I feel like we've got this almost like this uh, moat that's been this kind of protective yeah. moat that's been built around Bitcoin. I, 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 how do you feel about that, Novo? I think you're 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 right. Listen, with you know, you saw Stan Druckenmiller. You know, Dan and I were macro investors. We were pretty good. Stan Druckenmiller is a god. Like he literally is the god of macro. 
30%, you know, annualized over 30 years, no down years. Uh, and I try to get him into, get him into Bitcoin plenty of times. We're in the same fantasy football league. And, uh, you know, there was now not enough liquidity. There was always a reason not to. And the fact that he came out publicly on TV and said, hey, I'm into Bitcoin. Not as much as gold, but I'm into Bitcoin. It's a monster statement because when you, you get him in, Paul Jones in, uh, so many other kind of prominent investors in, there's no longer any stigma to being in. And as you get them in and as you get, you know, Fidelity uh, doing custody, you get all these institutions start coming in. They've got a vested interest and they know all the people in charge, you know, and so you get the money class involved. It's harder uh, for the, the regulators to, to, to just say to say no. It's politically unpopular, right? Bitcoin is owned by, I don't know how many Americans, 100 million people globally. And so I remember when they try to ban it in Korea and the next day there was a giant uh, uh, protest at the Blue House in Korea. And I think it feels similar here, you know? And so I do think the the chapter has, you know, the, the, the page of the book has shifted. It's not means, you know, you're gonna have all green lights on regulation. We're watching really carefully who the next chairman of the SEC is. Uh, really the SEC and the OCC are the two big jobs and uh, secretary treasury also important, not necessarily from a regulatory perspective, but from a tone perspective. And so we'll know a lot more in a month, uh, but there's been some good names getting kicked around. And so we'll see. I was going to say, you know, that I, I think Bitcoin's reached escape velocity, right? There was a time when regulators or any, you know, even maybe, you know, a monopoly of banks or whatever could have shut it down. It's now way bigger than that. And I think one of the big announcements was when China announced their version of it, right? It's game on now. Somebody is going to build a blockchain-based payment system. China is going to build one. Bitcoin has one. There's going to be some others. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's out. But, you know, what's interesting, <clears throat> the coronavirus in some ways was you know, brought, brought prosperity to the crypto world. And it, it did in two ways. It, it gave a huge tailwind to the macro story around hard assets like Bitcoin. And so Bitcoin as a macro instrument is more relevant today because of the macro story that came from uh, Corona uh, and, the, and the Fed's response. Uh, but just as importantly, it wildly accelerated the digitalization of everything. And you know, you saw when PayPal got in, uh, PayPal's got 330 million customers, right? They're the largest bank by customer, the, 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 not by deposits. Um, every single financial institution now is saying, hey, things are going to shift. And so from their wealth management platforms, I need to offer Bitcoin because my customers are demanding it. Uh, but from the financial infrastructure piece, right? Most likely Ethereum is the beneficiary because things are going to be built on the Ethereum network. Uh, most likely, but you're going to see stable coins out of the U.S., out of Brazil, out of almost every country. Some will be like China, central bank issued and run by the central bank. I think in the U.S. you'll see multiple people issue stable coins. But as we move to a digital wallet world, it just makes Bitcoin uh, accessibility so much easier. I think the most important stat to watch over the next five months is PayPal's how much Bitcoin transacts on PayPal because it's going to skyrocket. And then you think about who's coming, the Novi wallet from Facebook, two and a half billion new wallets. Pretty soon, every person on the planet is going to have a freaking wallet where they keep 
some some portion of their money, their Bitcoin, their money, pretty soon their tickets and everything else. And so that that rebuilding process that we talked about in 2017 is happening. And now, you know, the ball started to roll downhill. And so bullish. Yeah, that uh, PayPal thing's a good point because we've seen how much business that Cash App has done. And we know how much of the Bitcoin that Barry's buying for Grayscale. You know, as a, as more of these entrants come in, it's just a real kind of sharp shock on the supply. I guess you've looked at that as well, Dan. Yeah, so you know, the Cash App itself has taken up forty percent of all the newly issued Bitcoin, and we're just the beginning of this. So, you know, when you, you know, there's a lot of pundits out there that try and figure out the value of Bitcoin and use all these really complicated models, but it's pretty simple. If you're taking away forty percent of the supply and you have increasing demand, the price goes up and the, the big uh, advantage to PayPal and Robinhood and Cash App, it's just so easy to get in now. And if you think back to the last bull market in 2017, you know, people were trying to get into the markets, but it was a real pain in the ass. It, you know, it took a week. You know, you had to take a selfie with your passport and send it to Coinbase or Bitstamp or somebody and wait for their massively overloaded people to open up your account and get your money in. And now there's 350 million people that have an account that can just put Bitcoin in straight away. But Peter, what's also interesting is, I mean, Dan hits on a great point. Bitcoin's not easy to buy. It's getting much easier to buy for young people, right? Every young person has those apps. But for our age, I mean, Dan and I actually are younger than we look in spirit. But for our peer group from 55 to, to 75, right, the baby boomers, you know, most people don't. And they call their broker at EF Hutton uh, or Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or maybe e-trade if they're that you know online and you still can't buy crypto at any of those places and so one of the big accelerations you're going to see in the next 18 months is every one of those institutions is going to have a crypto offering a bitcoin offering they're not they're going to start simple and so you know bitcoin would be a lot higher already if it was easy to buy and so you know we both have businesses trying to trying to cater to institutions to to make it easy for them to buy. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a pain in the ass. Uh, it's, but our pipeline went from a, tr a trickle to, it's not a gusher yet, but man, it's becoming one. And that all happened in the last six months. You know, quite frankly, I was frustrated as heck with the institutional adoption last November, December. I I fired some people, I tightened our belt, we were burning money and it all shifted in April. Uh, and now I can't hire people fast enough. And I think, you know, we're a microcosm of what's happening. And so I think really you're going to get these turbocharging forces. You're going to get easier access from all these wallets. And then you're going to get the baby boomers who are finally getting in. I mean, we just did a capital raise for, for Galaxy. And one of our investors was the New Zealand superannuity fund. Like the thought of having, you know, the big you know, sovereign pensions invested in Bitcoin five years ago was, was a pipe dream. Uh, and a fantasy from, you know, we talked about it. God, I can't wait till one of the central banks buys it or like all that's happening now. And, you know, Michael Saylor did his bit, you know, I think, mm -hmm. you know, he gets, he gets rookie of the year. Uh, I was trying to figure out who gets rookie of the year. Michael Saylor, he, he gets my award for rookie of the year. Paul Jones is, is in there. He's maybe a runner up as, as, you know, rookie, but like as each of these guys go in, you're, you're triggering a new asset, a group of, uh, purchasers. So now corporate treasuries are all thinking about it. I got an email today from another corporate treasurer to talk to him about it. 
it's not going to happen overnight, right? Movements happen one, then two, then four, then eight. But we'll look back in two years and be like, dude, that guy was a pioneer. Uh, so I think you're going to see adoption on so many different fronts. Another interesting thing, I was chatting to a, a guy yesterday who runs a fund, and he, and he said to me, we're just about to pull the trigger on Bitcoin. We should be making our purchase by January. And I was like, huh? You're about <laughs> to pull the trigger, and then from that point, it's a two-month turnaround to make to actually make the purchase. So in my head, I was firstly thinking, well, you might miss <laughs> you might miss some action between now and then. But then I was thinking, well, that that'd be a great question for you guys. Like, Dan, what's the kind of thing that's gonna? Why would it take two months to get to that point? Yeah, I, I know that you know you and I are drinking the Kool Aid, and that seems like an eternity. Mm. But this is gonna be a multi-decade trade, and you know, someone gets in in January next year, it's gonna look like a visionary ten years from now, right? Like. Yeah, it's, of course. You know, it's commonly said that it took the internet 20 years to happen because it kind of took 20 years to get Google and Facebook from the browser, but it took 20 years to get to the browser, right? Like TCPIP was from the 70s. So we're just still in the really, really early innings of this thing. And like Mike said, 100 million people have it. And so we think that's awesome, but there'll be 6 billion people with it in 20 years. And, you know, yeah. getting from here to there is going to be, a, it's a great trade. And, you know, like Mike said, uh, when we originally got into the trade, you know, we felt like we missed a huge chunk of it because it had been running from 2011 to 2013. And people get it now, you know, it's been running for a while. But when we look back 10 years from now, you probably won't see these prices on the chart. You know, it's, it's such an asymmetric hockey stick type trade. that you know, I, I, mean, I, I, re I repeat to myself before I go to bed every night. There are only 21 million Bitcoin. There'll ever be 21 million Bitcoin. It's like my mantra as my meditation thing. Like there's really less than 21 million. It's probably 2 million or 3 million have been lost. Right. And so you really have a, a, a definitive supply of something that is now seen as value. Right. What's huge about Bitcoin is it's not the technology. It's the social construct. I got an argument with uh, Goldman Sachs' strategist about five months ago who's a good friend of mine, right? When she wrote that negative report on Bitcoin. And I was like, she was like, well, what makes something a store of value? I said, well, enough people say it as it is. And, and I was like, who, who's next that you need? Like, do we need Alan Greenspan to bless it? You know, do we need Ben Bernanke to bless it as a store of value? Like, I don't know, I, I trust Stan Schrockenbiller and Paul Jones and Abby Johnson and Pete Brigger and Mickey Melker. And, you know, I know 30 billionaires who made their money outside of crypto that are big Bitcoin bulls. There's probably a lot more than the ones I know. And so both the little guy, the middle guy, and the big guy in terms of financial clout all have decided that this is a store of value. And so now I think the network effect just works. So in the, la the first four years, I, I was a big trader. I sold and I'd buy, and I'd sell calls. And, and now I'm just a hodler. It's, it's, it's a lot easier. <laughs> Yeah, Mike, do you remember that was my first line to you when you called and you said, I'm trading Bitcoin. I'm like, dude, that's called gambling. <laughs> Short-term trading back in, especially 2013, there was no data, there was nothing. But, you know, the thing I love about the, the negative, you know, there's no intrinsic value people that, you know, brag on Bitcoin is <clears throat> the intrinsic value of a Jackson Pollock's 40 bucks, right? There's some house painting and some canvas. But... It's a scarce thing that has a 70-year track record of appreciating and being a good store of value. So Bitcoin only has a 12-year track record, so it's not as good as a Jackson Pollock, but, you know, 20 years from now it will be. I tell you, I saw a Jackson Pollock at the museum, and I was like, damn, I'd love to own one of those. And I tried to 
Google and how expensive they are. And they're too expensive to own right now. Bitcoin needs to go higher. <laughs> I think I think if Bitcoin hits 100K, I think you can get yourself a Jackson Pollock. I tell you what, uh, I'm looking at the bright prices right now. I, I tweeted that I was going to get a, a moon tattoo on my arm when Bitcoin hits the old highs. And I think it might be this year. <laughs> Have you, hold on, didn't you just get your because you got you just got your first tattoo when I spoke to you, and I think have you got like a second? Did you get something on your knees? No, I have literally gotten five tattoos since I turned fifty. Uh, got five. I've, I've got this. Uh, oh, he's gone big. I got a big one on my arm when I I'd got on an ayahuasca retreat and came back and always thought my spirit animal was a dragon, and it turned out it's a black puma. <laughs> and so yeah. I got the black puma tattooed to my arm. You need to get, the, get... Uh, the the full arms and sleeves done. Well, that that's that's a little extreme. <laughs> no, it's not. You've started. You hold on. That's five in how long? Since I've been fifty. Well, how long's that? Five years. <laughs> five years. So I, you're going one. You're going one a year. One a year. But, but is, it, is, it, is it going at an increasing rate? Are they? Are you getting them at a quicker yeah. rate now? Yeah, it is. It actually. You're going to be done. You're gonna be done. Listen, when I when I uh, when I'm next to New York, you and me, we're gonna get we're gonna get tattoos. We're gonna get Bitcoin tattoos. All right. We'll get Dan in. We'll fly Dan in. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the body art yet. <laughs> so another thing I noticed was uh, something. I think this the Michael Saylor effect. So I get a lot of people just messaging me on, on the base of the show asking recommendations. I got a lot of small company business owners got in touch saying, I think I want to buy Bitcoin on behalf of my company. I think I want to put some on my balance sheet. And these are like probably one, two, three man businesses. But that's like a phase of people I hadn't even considered. I don't I don't know if that's something either of you have noticed. Listen, I I, I mean, it sounds weird. I get stopped on the street now. Uh, people are like sharing or asking for Bitcoin advice. Uh, and so I think you're seeing people wake up and saying, Something's happening. I need to learn about it. Uh, I have a art, an art, a young artist just emailed me as we were sitting here. Say, hey, can you give me ten minutes? I want to learn about Bitcoin. I might exchange my my advice for a piece of his art. Uh, and so I just think this there's a consciousness that's awakening that is a little different than what we had in 2017. Right? 17 was a complete speculative mania, and everything was kind of going up. and And you kind of knew as a speculator that it was going to crash. Uh, you didn't know when it was going to crash, but you knew it was going to crash. You know, Paris Hilton coin couldn't really be worth $400 million overnight. Uh, and it's very different this time. The market's much more rational. Bitcoin's got a lane as a store of value. Ethereum is kind of a venture bet where we think it'll be the base level protocol uh, where stuff gets built on. And now we're seeing stuff get built on. We're seeing decentralized finance get built on. We're seeing stable coins. And so the story of Ethereum actually is more intuitive than it used to be. And then there are other coins that feel more like equities, right? If you look at YFI or uh, Uniswap, uh, those things have dividends and, you know, you can kind of discount cash flow model. And so the crypto universe is getting more rational and easy to understand, uh, which I think is important. I don't oh, know, I do. man. Listen, I get it with the Bitcoin. I, th I, I, can't, I can't get there with Ethereum and I can't get there with the DeFi stuff. I'm just like, I just know if I put my money in any of that, I'm going to, I think I'm, Bitcoin's going to outperform it. Listen, to be fair, I, I have 85% of our portfolio in Bitcoin and then, you know, a big chunk of Ethereum and then a smaller chunk of DeFi because I think on a risk adjusted basis, Bitcoin is, is just an easy bet right now. Mm. Uh, but I think we'll look back in five years, 10 years and Ethereum and 
the other part of the crypto revolution will be really where the the, the societal change happens. The real revolution is going to happen uh, uh, with the rest of crypto. I really believe that. I think, you know, Mike's point is not that, you know, talk about Bitcoin dominance one way or the other. It's just in 2017, there were 50 ICO white papers coming out every week. There aren't 50 great ideas every week. And you can argue whether there's one great idea and it's only Bitcoin or there's 10 great ideas, but there's not 50 new ones a week. And that's basically indicia of a fraud, right? Or a bubble that there's a good way to put crazy stuff coming out and you can't have 50 great projects a week. And that's not happening now. Like, you know, there's, we've invested in a few ICOs over the last couple of months, but they're, you know, they're pretty rare as our great ideas are very rare. Um, and most of the attention's on the projects that are actually delivering, you know, Polkadot, Filecoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin. Well, I'm I'm hundred percent focused on Bitcoin. I think we're going to go over sixteen k in this interview. By the way, I'm just looking at it now. We're like it sure does. Nine two two. I think it's going to fly up past there. All right. So listen, look. Just thinking a little gonna, bit more I'm gonna, about. I'm going to blame. I'm going to blame it on the interview or credit the interview for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It's it's this is definitely. If I'll, I'll tweet out a photo of the three of us and send it to the moon. Next up, I talked to Dan and Mike more about institutional interest in Bitcoin. But before that, I've got a message from my amazing sponsors. All right, so let's talk about Kraken, the mighty Kraken, my favorite place for buying Bitcoin and the only place I use for buying Bitcoin. But why? Why, Pete? You're just doing it because they sponsor you. No, there's two things I really love. Outside of the fact they've got an amazing team, outside of the fact wherever I travel around the world, Wherever I go, Kraken people look out for me. Outside of the fact they sent me an amazing Kraken tracksuit for my birthday and some chocolates, there's a couple of things that make them really, really badass. Firstly, they are consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. And this is really important with all the exchange hacks that have happened. You need to trust your exchange. They also have the best in class and customer service. So whatever issue you have, whoever you are, wherever you are, they're going to get that shit fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they have every tool you could possibly need. Whatever your level of experience at Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading, futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for their iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. And last this week, and never least, is my good friends over at BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. Now, with BlockFi, firstly, you can open up an interest account. You can start earning interest on your Bitcoin like I do. I've been with them nearly a year now, and I've earned over one Bitcoin in interest, which is super cool. Also, using your Bitcoin as collateral, you can take out a USD loan. You can also fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the BlockFi mobile app, you can now fully manage your account on the go. They've got so much more coming next year. They're going to smash it like they have for the last couple of years. If you are interested in finding out more, I do recommend you do your own research. Then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. So the other thing that's been interesting, I can't remember if it's uh, Cameron or Tyler, but one of them tweeted out um, yesterday about the US debt to GDP ratio being 135%. And I interviewed, I don't know if either of you know Lynn Alden, but I interviewed her recently. Uh, she's a macro analyst. And she referred to that as the uh, um, debt to GDP ratio event horizon. <laughs> she said 51 of 52 countries that have hit that ratio have had a currency devaluation. She said it comes in different ways, most likely is through inflation. You're both macro guys. Like Dan, is that something you're looking at? And how concerned are you about that? 
Yeah, no, it's, it, that's what's happening. And, and um, Ken Rogoff did this great study, uh, the Harvard professor, on all the countries on Earth. And there's only 13 that have never defaulted. It's pretty amazing. All 200 others have defaulted either by just reneging on their debt or by inflating it away. In the U.S., Federal Reserve just promised to double inflation. That is a wild concept, right? Um, I'm old enough to remember when central banks used to fight inflation. And fighting inflation is really hard, right? You need institutional buy-in, all kinds of structural change. It takes decades. Creating inflation is really, really easy, as you know, Zimbabwe and Venezuela have proven. So if the Fed is promising to double the, the rate of inflation and to keep it there for several years, they will be successful. And so that's why I think Bitcoin's going up, is there aren't more Bitcoins. And if they are going to inflate away problems like the debt to GDP, you know, it's coming through inflation. And, and the U.S. deficit uh, is running higher than it did in the Great Depression and even higher than the average of World War II. In World War II, there was a lot of fascism we were fighting and a lot of big things. So the amount of money we're printing right now is you know, really off the charts. Yeah, if you think about it, we went into Corona running a 5% budget deficit. And this is where Trump got it so wrong. You know, it kept saying we've got the greatest economy in the world. Well, it was a sugar high economy because we were doing it on borrowed money, right? So we're running a 5% budget deficit. Uh, now our deficits, you know, mid-teens or uh, low-teens maybe. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about another trillion here, or a trillion there. A trillion is 5% of GDP. Like they're throwing it around like matchsticks. Like when I worked, I worked at the Reagan White House in 1984, tells you how old I am. Um, and it was the first time they talked about twin deficits and it was a national tragedy, like a crisis that we, and it was a 5% budget deficit, you know? And so like that, that's usually crises level. And now it's accepted and dad's right. You know, in our entire lives, we both joined pretty much right after Princeton. You know, he, I was in the army for two years. He got a head start at Goldman Sachs. So whatever, that's 30 years in finance. The entire time we had this idea of an independent central bank, right? Independent central banking was part of the global landscape. The whole world went to this idea of independent central banking. And now we've lost it. The central bank and the Ministry of Finance, the central bank and the Treasury Department are one. And that's scary as shit because we've never been through that. So they talk about this thing called the Minsky moment where confidence breaks down and yield curve steepens and currency you know, devalues. I don't know how close we are to that in the U.S. And I'm not a Cassandra thinking that the world's on fire. I just know we're closer to it than we were a year ago. Uh, and it's out there somewhere. And at one point when that monster shows up, it's, you know, you're going to be happy you own some Bitcoin. You know, you're talking about trillions being thrown, thrown around like the, like the white poker chips on a, on, a, on a table. There was a great line from Senator Dirksen in the 60s or 70s. He said, you know, a billion here, a billion there, pretty soon it starts to add up to real money. And you're throwing around trillions like that now. I mean, yeah. it's just so big. And uh, the U.S. in June printed more debt than in the first two centuries of the U.S.'s existence. It's just off the how, how, about, how about this one? Prime Minister Trudeau, right, the Canadian PM, mm -hmm. has printed more debt than all the other Canadian prime ministers combined. That's pretty cool. Jesus. Do you think? Do you think like standard retail investors, not even retail, like let's even get away from investors because there's some people who don't invest, right? There's some people who just don't. They just, yeah, you know, they maybe save a bit of money in the bank. Do you think people really understand what's going on? 
because I think there's, you know, for example, in the UK, we've got a lockdown. We've had a massive increase in the borrowing with our central bank. We're in another lockdown. We're talking about another stimulus package. All my friends are talking about, you know, whether they're going to get furloughed or not, or their staff are going to get furloughed. But none of them are really talking about the implications of this borrowing. It, it, it feels like they don't really understand. They just feel like it's almost like they think this just this money comes out of nowhere. And do you think people really understand, or do you think that's by design? Oh, and they're not supposed to to some degree. I mean, like they, the, the society yeah. wasn't set up for everybody to be like economic wonks like Dan and I. You know, we were market macro guys and economists most of our, our careers. And so, you know, if you're an artist, if you're an engineer, if you're a teacher, you know, your job isn't, you know, you're, you work, you have some money, you save your money. Uh, and so, and most mostly, you know, we've had a 2% inflation regime plus or minus for a while. And so you've had a little bit of deterioration, but not big deterioration in your purchasing power. In the US, no one even looks at currency rates, exchange rates. And so stock markets on the high. And so things have been fine. And, you know, if less, you know, God willing, they stay fine, right? Like, you know, I, I'm not hoping other than for my Bitcoin position that the world blows up, right? I'd rather, I'd rather us have a graceful exit out of this horrific fiscal position we're in. Uh, I'm less and less confident we'll have a graceful exit out of the fiscal position. And so I don't think until things really start to move, the masses will care. So people are buying Bitcoin because there's the story being told and there's some FOMO and it's, it's becoming vogue again and it's easier to buy. And people get the story when you tell it to them. But it's not a four alarm fire because the economy is not a four alarm fire yet. Peter, I think the answer totally depends on what country you live in. Mm-hmm. Whether you live in the developed world or the developing world. So your countrymen, yeah, they probably don't notice the debasement of their currency, right? Probably half of them forget that a pound sterling used to buy a pound of sterling silver, right? And it costs 184 pieces of paper, pound sterlings, to buy a pound of sterling silver now. So they didn't really notice that happened, but they basically lost 99.7% of the value of their currency. But it's happened over a slow period of time. If you go to the developing world, they totally get it. And that's why you see people in Argentina, people in all these countries, huge advocates of Bitcoin, because they actually see the depreciation of their currency because it happens fast enough, they notice it. And we've seen, you know, in our investments in like the Philippines or Bitso in Mexico or whatever, people are flocking to Bitcoin because they know their currency is depreciating at a very rapid rate. It's people in the U.S. or, you know, Europe, they don't notice it, but the same thing's happening. It's a, it's a great point. It's, it's why, you know, Wences Casares is actually, he was kind of patient zero for so many of us, like, you know, and he might be the best Bitcoin salesman because he's got this great freaking hair. I think if I had hair like him, I maybe I'd do a little better, but he's got this kind of crazy hair, but he's got this experience from Argentina where he saw his family's white wealth wiped out like currency devaluations. And so yep. when you've actually been through it, you know, you really get it. It's not just a story. It's a, it's a reality. And I think Dan's, Dan's hundred percent right there. Yeah. We have to do all these podcasts to tell, uh, you know, Americans or Brits how Bitcoin works and why it's important. People in Argentina, you don't need to do a big podcast. They totally get it. Well, yeah. Do you know what I did? I was actually out there. So I, I went out to the Bitconf in, uh, I think it was in Uruguay and I actually met Ventures the first time out there. But when I was, uh, I was also with a couple of guys from Argentina and they, they explained it to me then. They talked me through La Coralita and what happened with the currency devaluation, but also the fact they couldn't even get, get to their currency. They told me this mad story about one region 
one region in Argentina because they, they, there wasn't enough currency. They just made their own currency. Have you ever seen it? It's just crazy. I should, I'll try and dig the pictures out. I, 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 read, I, read, I read about it. I read about it. Yeah, it was this weird thing. So, But no, I'm, I'm with you. It kind of makes sense. And um, one of the things I noticed is that it's funny. A few, well, it's not funny for the people there, but two weeks, no, a week after the currency collapse in Lebanon, my podcast was the number one podcast in uh, finance in, in Lebanon just for that week. So people yeah. are looking for it. They, they get it. it. It's natural to them. Perhaps could it be in there for in some ways a bit of a leveler as as you know a leveler between countries or do you think we've uh, bought too many here in the US and the UK already? Oh, I think it's going to bring financial inclusion to the world, right? That's why I think it's so important that basically anybody with a smartphone can participate in this currency or this you know payment system, whatever you want to call Bitcoin. And yeah, I think it's going to have a huge positive impact. Oh, listen, I, I've been. Uh hammering some of the Democrats that are on their way in, I was like, guys, you can't be for democracy and, and for the little guy without being for crypto, right? It's the democratization of finance, right? I mean, you think about simple things. I could send Dan a picture of myself on 19 different apps right now, but it's hard to send him money in the traditional system, right? Especially if he's out of, out of, out of country. So I can Venmo him within the country up to a certain amount of to uh, dollars. But like he was in Argentina, I'm screwed. And so when I go to an ATM, they charge me 350 to take out 20 bucks if I'm not wealthy. Or even 350 to take out $500 is a, is a pretty big you know, chunk. Like that's the banks having protected this weird financial oligopoly for, for years. Uh, that's not democratic in lots of ways. And so, you know, one of the reasons I got into this whole space was regime change, right? It was, you know, like, you know, systemic change and crypto is systemic change and it's coming. And interestingly enough, politically, it lines up, right? Like it's hard to make an argument. No, no, let's keep screwing the little guy. <laughs> you know, that's always happened. Uh, so we'll see how I'm hoping that this, this, re this you know, new regime, the Biden regime is sympathetic here. They should be. Well, tr Trump wasn't, and Mnuchin didn't seem so. So you you would hope so, a little bit, a little bit more so than them. What do you think, Dan, on the politics side? Oh yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I think Mike's right that this is democratizing finance, taking it away from the powerful oligopolies that control it. You think about you know credit cards, remittance, banking. One or a couple of companies control all those payment rails, and they really haven't changed, uh, you know, in decades. You know, the rates for credit card transactions are ludicrous compared to what they should be if there was a free market. A great example would be if I wanted to send, you know, 500 bucks to the UK, it's quicker to go down to the mall and buy a suitcase and go to the bank and load it up with cash and get on an airplane because it takes three days to send money to a foreign country. I mean, that's crazy. With Bitcoin, no, you can send, to send Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, instantly for free. So it will change the world. And, you know, some of these oligopolies are kind of fighting a rear guard battle against it. But it is coming and it's going to be great. You know, it's going to bring a lot of people into the, you know, the global labor market because you can now pay them with Bitcoin, even if they're working in some you know, really remote country. Yeah, so it is definitely going to improve billions of people's lives. Right, I do want to ask you something, Dan, because uh, I have spoke to Nova about this last time I spoke to him. But I, since I obviously spoke to you last time, we did have the micro strategy thing, which I, I always like to get people's perspective on that because it just came out of nowhere. 
And it wasn't just like $10 million or $5 million. It was essentially $450 million. And now he's just told us he did another couple hundred million dollars himself. I mean, he's pushing a billion dollars close at some point. I mean, we're not far, what, I think about 20K, he'll be pushing close to a billion dollars across his personal business things. I mean, they were such big moves. What did you make of it? Oh, I think it's great. And like Mike says, it's always hard to be the first one to do something. It's not that hard to be the 12th person to do something. And so once, you know, each of these companies keeps doing it, it lowers the kind of frictional barrier to doing investments like that. And having all your balance sheet as a company or a private individual or an endowment sitting in cash that's being depreciated in bonds that 20% of the world's bonds are negative yielding and, you know, in equities in the middle of an economic crisis, you know, it doesn't sound great. You should have one or 2% in Bitcoin, right? And putting some of your balance sheet as a public company into Bitcoin isn't that big a deal. And I think one of the perspectives to, to remind people is there already are 200 currencies, you know, like corporations around the world have balances in euros, yen, sterling, whatever. Bitcoin's just one more currency. It's, you know, obviously I think it's the best performing currency and, you know, I think it's really amazing, but it is just a currency. There are lots of currencies and, you know, no one cares when a company switches some of their balances from euros to sterling, right? Because it's a, a boring shit. And, you know, you asked earlier about trades. This is the most asymmetric trade I've ever seen. You know, like if you invest in the yen, like Mike and I have been trading value forever. It's been 20 points away from the same price our entire careers. You know, it goes up to. When I, when I moved to Tokyo, it was 104.80. And it, right now it's 105.56. Now it is it's within 20 points of 120 our entire careers. You know, sometimes buy it and make some money, sometimes whatever. It, but it actually never really goes anywhere. Where's it? 20 28 years ago. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. It never moves. And so, you know, why not put a little bit of your assets in something that really could go up 50x, right? Like, you know, dollar yen is not going up 50x. Bitcoin could. And so it's rational for MicroStrategy and these companies to put, you know, a bit of their balance sheet there and, you know, get the returns, maybe even get a higher multiple on their, you know, on their equity valuation. And, and Peter, these things don't happen overnight, right? But you have mm -hmm. to frame things. And so I keep thinking right now, the narrative that is powerful and it is working. I mean, JP Morgan just wrote about it as Bitcoin is digital gold. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's a finished product in lots of ways, right? Where the Ethereum and a lot of the other new new projects aren't finished. They're still being worked on. They're, they're, they're venture bets on the future. Bitcoin doesn't have to change. It'll be the same in five years. Uh, and so it's adoption. We're really betting on adoption. And we're roughly 2% of gold. Well, what's, we're $300 billion roughly Bitcoin and gold's what, 13 trillion or 12 trillion. And so 2%, 2.5%, making it 10% doesn't seem so far-fetched. Like that's not, oh, Bitcoin's gonna be 80% of gold in the next three years. It can get to 10% of gold in the next two to three years pretty easy. And that's Bitcoin at 65, 70,000. And so, you know, people love to make 500,000 or a million. And, and, and we certainly can get there in time. You don't get there overnight because the law of large numbers, you're moving lots of money around and it shifts. It's accelerating. But when I put a target now of like 50 to 65, 70,000, it's not pie in the sky. It's we're going to eat into some of gold's, And I think gold's going to go higher given the, the macro backdrop. And then you, you also own the optionality that 
the central bankers screw it up, right? That we do hit that Minsky moment, that we do hit that panic. And then you see this real acceleration where prices could go beyond that. But Bitcoin could be at 60,000 in two years, 18 months, without the world blowing up, just with status quo. And that's what's kind of exciting about this trade. You don't need the world to blow up for it to be at 60,000. Yeah, Mike, I love all the, you know, all the predictions. Everyone loves to put out big numbers and, and even talking about gold. You got to remember the gold went beyond 10% of seashells. You know, it, it, it replaced seashells more than 100% of the value of seashells as a currency. And Bitcoin could be like, you know, 500 times the value of gold in the long run. Right? Oh, I, I agree 100%. There's no reason it can only be a fraction of gold because, you know, gold might be yesterday's seashells. And don't, then, don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm just saying within, within time horizons, right? And so that's why, you know, I said I'd become a hodler. Like patience, you know, patience, patience. And you'll look back in 20 years and be like, how the hell did that happen? Come on, Novo. Get more bullish, man. I'm, I'm more bullish right now. I'm thinking about buying some right here at 15920. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's totally conceivable because Bitcoin has a nine year compound annual growth rate of 209%, right? So that is 50,000 a year from now, right? Like that's just staying on trend. And I'm actually more bullish than trend. I think it's going to do more than trend. And Mike, your other point about like the, the kind of, the, it, some people call it a call option on the payment rail of the world, right? I actually think it's a put option on cash, right? You know, if we debase cash money, paper money, you know, owning Bitcoin is kind of like a put on if things get out of hand with central banks creating inflation. So basically, yeah. Dan, you're, you're, calling, you're calling Bitcoin the gold killer. I think so. You know, honestly, it, 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 gold's been awesome for 5,000 years, so it's not going to happen overnight. But I can totally see a world, you know, three decades from now or something, when we look back and all central banks have Bitcoin on their balance sheet and not all central banks have gold, right? Like it, it's coming. It's going to take a while and, you know, definitely not overnight, but it is, it's definitely conceivable. And, you know, gold's just one of the elements on the periodic table, right? There's, it's kind of, there's a bunch of coincidences that made it be the one everyone stored wealth in, but it could easily be Bitcoin is where everyone stores wealth. Let me ask you something else as well, Dan. Like you've obviously with a long career history in finance you've obviously got a lot of friends a bit like nova you got a lot of friends in the industry and you same probably friends. same friends same friends <laughs> but you, well both of you but you must feel you must be fielding these calls for the last whatever seven eight years since you've been investing yeah and, and i'm sure seven years ago like it was probably you phoning people and, this, and people saying i'm not interested and then gradually over time these these phone calls must have changed like what are they like now is the people know more are they more trusting like, how's the narrative changed? Yeah, so the good thing is you don't spend the first 20 minutes with a phone call going, why are there 21 million Bitcoins? That used to be 100% of the cost, you know, a long time ago. So it's a lot deeper questions. Who are those Persian generals? The <laughs> but Peter, here's a super important point. Bitcoin is a one-way valve. People get into Bitcoin and excited about Bitcoin at their own rates, right? Some people were excited 10 years ago. Some people aren't excited yet. Stan Miller just announced he's excited, right? It's a, everyone comes at their own pace. Here's the super important point. Almost nobody wants to get out and nobody gets short. And that's why the price goes up. Every person you convince it's a good idea buys Bitcoin. And there's nobody that's like, hey, I'm limit short. This is you know a bubble that's going to zero or whatever. So Peter, I think Dan hits on a really interesting point, right? So we've had this 
these, this volatility in, in Bitcoin. And people ask me about it all the time. Well, the bulk of the liquidity for the last five years have come from the Asian exchanges, right? Where there's 50 to 100 to one leverage. You know, Arthur Hayes or, or CZ, Binance, BitMEX, you know, all of them out there. Wobi. Dan and I both lived in Asia. Both in, I lived in Hong Kong for six years and Tokyo for one. You know, part of the Asian culture is the love of gambling. And so in lots of ways, what CZ created was a really sophisticated version of a Macau casino uh, where he would give people, you know, big credit to, to gamble. And so we're replacing in some ways speculative, really highly speculative leveraged owners of crypto with this army that's slowly marching that are buying them and putting them away. If you're an endowment, you're not buying Bitcoin and selling it in two months. You're buying it and you're going to hold it for eight years. But you look at what Barry Silbert's done, it's, you know, hats off to the guy. He's just slaughtered it with that grayscale. I mean, it's the best piece of business I've seen built in years in anything. Uh, that stuff's gone for good. It's locked in. You know? <laughs> There's no redemption feature. Uh, you know, uh, and so we're, we're slowly replacing this transactional, you know, speculative casino capital, which is important. It gives liquidity. It's I'm not I'm not I'm not bad mouthing it uh, with much steadier hands. And I think that that process started a couple of years ago and it's only going to run because Dan's right. You look at the we had a 14 to 4,000, 14,000 to 4,000 drop. And if you look at how many wallets actually moved coins, it was like less than 30%. Well, that means we're going to have some people who are going to come in at around 100K and see it drop to about 30 <laughs> and go through that experience. Yeah. Hey, here's here's the funny point on that. Bitcoin goes down 80% every three or four years, which sounds terrible, right? But it only has one year in the last 10 years where the low has been lower than before. So although it does drop 70, 80% often, and that's, you just kind of have to admit that's going to happen again. The highs that it's dropping from are always so much higher than the previous, that the lows are always have historically with one exception been higher. So although it's wildly volatile, it's on this massive uptrend. Well, it looks like we're going to have a, a bullish 18 months kind of, it's kind of exciting. I tell you what's exciting for me because this is my this will be my second time. So I had to go through the period of riding up my first wave, riding down, but now I'm like clear in the green. Like it's it's good times now. Like it's never going to go to a point where my average price is in the red, which is good. It puts you in a comfortable position, but it also puts me in a position where I don't think I'm ever. There's no reason to sell. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> Peter, Peter, you might want to buy a boat one day to sail around. You know. <laughs> the beautiful english coast and so like no it's cold yeah. and shit <laughs> <laughs> i want to play i buy a place in texas and a, and a lamborghini um and, and a football club but listen look, it's, 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 it's looking like an exciting 18 months what how do you think this plays out this is kind of final question to both of you get you shoot first nova give us some kind of predictions what do you think is going to happen over the next 18 months what what, what do you think people should look out for listen i think you're going to see a continued acceleration of Financial market players get in. Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, UBS, Barclays, they're going to have wealth management offerings. They're going to sell Bitcoin funds. They're going to find their way into this space. And that's just going to make it you know, more competitive for Dan and I 
You know, it's always funny. I was like, do I want my competitors in or not? I, I want them in because I, I own a lot of freaking Bitcoin and it's going to make the price of Bitcoin and all my Bitcoin related assets go up. And man, give me a few more months to really build out my business. So I have a bit of a moat, <laughs> uh, but they're all coming. And as those guys continue to come, the price is just going to keep coming higher. So I think that this is the next 18 months, you're going to see more and more announcements of both corporates, uh, tech companies, and finance companies participating in crypto. What about you, Dan? Yeah, you know, I guess my closing thought would be if we had this call three years ago and mm -hmm. you had your crystal ball and you told Mike and me and your audience that the OCC was going to approve banks, chartered, you know, federally chartered banks having Bitcoin, that China was going to have a digital currency, that 2.4 billion Facebook people would get, have a digital currency, you know, 350 million PayPal, Robinhood, Cash App people were going to be able to buy it with one click. And the price was going to be 25% below the highs, we would have a heart attack. It's just the price is starting out. Normally, there's a trade, there's a line in trading, the worse the fill, the better the trade. And it's when, you know, you're buying the absolute highs, it hurts so much to do that. But normally, that's when the market's going to keep going up. Here, you're buying it at a 25% discount, and all the fundamentals are there. And there's money printing, like I literally couldn't imagine. If you told me three years ago, the U.S. was going to print a trillion dollars in one month. I would have said a thousand to one against. It just happened. And all that, I just think it's going to melt up. Well, listen, sounds like it's going to be a, it's a big 18 months. Hopefully, hopefully I'll get to see you both in person at some point before then. I used to do my interviews in person. I've not got to interview either of you in person, but... Hopefully at some point we'll do that. Um, but appreciate you both going on. Listen, the, everyone knows it's Pantera and it's Galaxy. I will uh, include everything in the show notes and make sure people will see, uh, see the work you're doing. But look, wish you both the best and hope to see you soon. Thanks so much. Dan, good seeing you. All right, yeah. It's a blast. All right. What do you think of that one? Wasn't it great to get Novo and Dan together? You know, these guys are veterans. They know so much more about investing than I ever would. But it's always great to hear from them. I love their bullishness. I love just hearing about the background of how they got into this whole space, how they discovered Bitcoin while being traditional finance guys. And their insight into what institutions are thinking about with regard to Bitcoin is super cool. So it's great to hear from them. From the sound of it, I think we're we're in for a hectic couple of years. I think the next, well, certainly 18 months are going to be a little bit crazy. It's all very exciting. Anyway, massive thanks to Dan and Mike for coming on the show. As ever, if you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at botbitcoindid.com. And I do reply to anyone. As long as you don't send me some weird bullshit, I will reply to you. Outside of that, if you do want to support the show, I just want reviews on iTunes at the moment. If you've got two minutes, it's only two minutes, head over to iTunes, give me a review, hopefully five star if you think it deserves it. If you think it deserves one star, I'll take that on the chin. But yes, reviews are helpful right now. And outside of that, have you checked out Defiance yet? Have you, you know, have you even checked it out? I've produced so many shows for that now. Some really interesting ones from the one about a band that were in a car crash to the Mnuchin series to Glenn Maxwell. Right now, we've got Chaos, where we're looking at the political division in the US. Go and check that out. Let me know what you think. Outside of that, have a great week, and I'll see you all soon.